0: Good morning. Welcome to convocation, the SST convocation. My name is Jan Bender Shuttler, and I'm the director of global education and the the SST program at Goshen College. And I'm so happy to have this convocation where you get to hear from students who have been on SST to give their experience and their take on why SST matters. Today, we're going to be featuring the semester SSTs, the ones who are gone a whole semester at a time. Next semester in the spring, we hope to be featuring the short-term uh, immersive experiences. At Goshen College, we define global as not just outside of the boundaries of the U.S., but within the U.S. and even within our own county and our own city. So. Um, Let me, there you go. So here are the semester SSTs that we feature at Goshen College, Ecuador, Indonesia, the Navajo and Hopi nations, Senegal and Tanzania. Ecuador is, you can go any semester, any year. The rest are on a two year rotation. Here's another, here's a list of the courses that you would get credit for if you did that. And today we are featuring the spring and summer Ecuador units from last year. Tanzania, uh, who went last spring, and Hopi Navajo, who went in the summer. Um, this is just to show you some of the options that are coming up right now, if you wanna sign up. For the semester, you can go onto the uh, MyGC and you can find an SST enrollment button and you can go right in and sign up anytime. If you're interested in the summer or the fall coming up, you need to sign up by November 10. That is like, we make decisions on that at that time. So, And we start um, the, the orientation for it right away in the spring semester. So if you want to go to Senegal or Ecuador in the summer, or if you want to go to Ecuador in the fall, now's the time to sign up. But you can see what your other options are. If you're going to do a semester, you need to start taking language the semester before, um, and we'll have orientation the semester before. So today we're going to talk about why SST matters, why it's important, why Goshen College invests so much of your core and their own resources in this program, and we've done it for 55 years. It's a really unique, distinctive program amongst um, global education programs, and we're really proud of it here at Goshen College. It's not a timeout from your career or academic preparation, but it's integrally a part of that, and we know that employers and graduate schools when they see that you've done this, you, you stand out from other applicants. We know that students who do this kind of program finish more, finish on time and their grades actually go up. The students today, we, t- we got together and talked about what are the things that matter. And so they're gonna talk about things like connections, relationships, they're gonna talk about the personal growth that comes from SST. And they're gonna talk about the lifetime commitments that really get established or reinforced by being on SST. And finally, the way that they now um, have some global perspectives on the world by this deeper engagement. So I am gonna call Adrian up to introduce uh, what we're gonna do.
1: Um, Hello, good morning. My name is Adrian Delgadillo, and I'm a third year here at Goshen College. Um, Last spring, I went to Tanzania uh, for my study service term. Um, And during that 12 weeks, um, I spent the first six um, studying. And so basically what that looked like for me is every day I would take Swahili classes, cultural classes, um, attend various lectures. Um, And that really just prepared me for the second part of SST, which is the service term. Um, And so on study, you're living in the main city of whatever country you're staying in. Um, But on service, you're in more a rural setting. Um, And typically, you're serving the community in various ways. Um, But on both, you are staying with host families. And that's one of the things that makes SST very unique, is you're able to stay um, with families. And that takes a lot of um, cooperation between Goshen College and um, the country you're staying in. And that wouldn't be possible without the faculty leaders that come with us. Um, and there's a few faculty leaders here today, and I would like to recognize them. So if I call your name, would you please stand? Um, Andrew Hartzler, uh, the Ecuador Spring and Summer SST. Um, as well as um, Joe Ross Richer from the Hopi Navajo Summer SST. And as well as Ryan Sensenick from the Tanzania SSD. And could you guys all stand up? Actually, so you can- Like Jan said, there's a lot of things that make SSD very important. And we're gonna hear from every group that was mentioned today. Um, and I believe the first person to speak is Emma Gingrich, who went to Ecuador last spring.
2: Good morning, everyone. My name is Emma Gingrich. I'm a junior history major from Elkhart, Indiana. Uh, and I went to Ecuador last spring. I've also done some of the May term SST options, uh, like service in Texas with Mennonite Disaster Service and the Israel-Palestine group that went last May. Um, But it was very important to me to also do a semester-long SST. My decision to choose Ecuador specifically wasn't super hard because I have a Spanish minor and I really wanted to stretch my language abilities with immersion. I'm so glad I did a semester-long SST, though, uh, because it provided me with opportunities that I wouldn't have had with my short term, like um, living with a host family, and feeling more immersed in a culture than just with a three-week experience. Both of my parents went to Goshen and did a semester-long SST in Costa Rica, and I grew up hearing their stories. I too wanted an experience that would stick with me for life. A semester-long SST is a chance for you to get to know yourself better, make connections with people and places that you'll hold for the rest of your life, and have stories for years to come. While I did have struggles on SST, I reminded myself that all of the hard stuff would make for really good stories eventually, once I was more removed from and could laugh about the experience. Good stories help you connect to and relate to people. They make you interesting at parties. They help help remind you of where you've been and how capable you truly are. Here's an example of a story that, in the moment, was tough, but now looking back feels like a highlight of my SST experience. On service, I lived in a small rural district outside of the city of Kayambe. Kayambe has this huge active volcano that looms over the city and attracts hundreds of daring hikers every year. You can see a view of the volcano from Kayambe. The peak elevation is about 18,996 feet above sea level, and the volcano holds great importance for the people of Cayambe. It's seen as this protector, people literally referring to it as Mama Kayambe. I badly wanted to go up there before I returned to the States, so I told my host dad it was something I wanted to do. We set a Saturday morning to go up the volcano. My family didn't have a car, and it would have been an insanely long and brutal hike, so my dad, little brother Mateo, and I piled onto a motorcycle. I probably shouldn't have said that, but we were safe, I promise. Mateo is tiny. It had been raining a lot lot the night before we decided to go, and the path of the volcano was extremely muddy. In fact, it was close to cars, which probably should have said something in itself, but somehow our motorcycle was an exception. There were parts of the trail that were so deep in mud, Mateo and I had to get off just so my dad could get the bike moving safely. The wind was biting and cold. My shoes were absolutely caked in mud. My jacket was soaked from a misty rain and I felt like a nomad, trekking through the Arctic tundra on my quest to find shelter and food. I relished the moments when the path was clear enough and I could relax on the motorcycle. At one point, my dad stopped and was like, okay, we're going to have to walk the rest of the way. And in that moment, I felt defeated. I was soaked and cold and miserable and hungry. The altitude was making it hard to breathe, and the rest of the way was very unclear. Through the mist and now occasional flurry of snow, I could not see where our destination was, and my dad was leading us off the marked trail. He kept reassuring me that El Refugio, a little outpost sitting at 15,092 feet, was near. Mateo somehow seemed unaffected by the bitter winds, snow, and general altitude, and I felt woefully unprepared. I hadn't anticipated the amount of hiking we were going to be doing, and I didn't eat enough breakfast. My jacket and gloves were soaked and doing a poor job of keeping me warm, and I just felt beaten. I desperately wanted to reach the refugio, but I didn't know how I possibly could. I think my host dad noticed I was struggling. We didn't even need words. He just took me by the hand and essentially dragged me the rest of the way. Okay, it wasn't wasn't quite a drag, but I definitely leaned on his support. That moment of him offering me his hand will stick with me. I pride myself on being self-sufficient and generally independent, and in any other context, I would not have asked for help getting up that mountain. In the moment, though, it didn't matter. I felt so loved and taken care of. I didn't need to be sprinting up the mountain. I just needed this warm, quiet, steady presence to guide me the rest of the way. This is one of the reasons SST matters. I had only known my host dad for five weeks, but I could feel his support for and care for me anyways. That connection will stay with me for life. We made it to the refugio and got some hot tea and crackers to warm us up for the rest of the journey. Here's a picture of the refugio, and I just want to clarify that that is not me in the picture. Uh, I didn't think to take a picture of the refugio itself when I was up there, so this is like the best representation I could find on Google. Um, While I was in the refugio, though, I started to get a little freaked out at one point because on the wall was this graphic detailing all the types of hiking gear you needed for hiking at what elevation, and I grew steadily more aware that I did not have the suggested gear for the elevation we were at. Um, Somehow, though, I was not stressed and relied on the guidance of my local Ecuadorian guide. My dad later joked that he could be a tour guide for the volcano because of the amount of people he's taken up. After the refugio, we continued on to see some glaciers. There was no trail, and I was traipsing through mud, navigating my way around rocks, and crossing little streams of water. I felt like a real off-roader, and also a little kid again. There were so many little caverns and nooks that I wanted to explore. Before I entered one small cave within the glacier, my dad insisted that I ask Mama Cayambe for permission to pass, which she allowed. Asking Mama Kayambe for permission speaks to the spiritual importance the volcano holds for the people of Kayambe, and made me feel much more connected to the land. And yeah, here's some pictures of glaciers and stuff. Despite my sensations of physical misery and the toil it took to get there, I was so incredibly happy to be exploring nature and laughing with my dad and brother as we made our way back down, almost wiping out from the slickness of the mud. Uh, you can see how, in this pic, Mateo did so much better than I did in dealing with the mud. I felt a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment that I made it, and also a sense of appreciation for and connection with the land itself. I had to thoroughly scrub my shoes, and I'm pretty sure my rain jacket to this day has n- not been properly cleaned, but it was so worth it. The experience of hiking Kayambe was made ten times better than it would have been had I merely been a tourist, because of my host dad's presence and knowledge of me and the trail. I got to experience a sacred local landmark like a local would, and feel like I have more of an emotional connection to the land than just any tourist. This is why SST matters. It gives you stories. This story for me is a reminder of what I've been through and what I can do again. It's a story of how my temporary struggle led to an amazing memory and sense of self-satisfaction. SST allows you to experience parts of the world and understand their sacredness in a way tourism can't. It helps you to realize your own limitations and feel okay with relying on others for support. It's a break from the monotony, the mundane, and a reminder that the world is so much bigger than you. Cliches aside, if you're tired of your rhythmic ocean, want to learn more about yourself, yearn to have stories to tell for years to come, and desire to see the beauty and humanity in the world, then SST is for you.
3: Good morning. My name is Tyson Miller. I'm a third year journalism and English major from Syracuse, Indiana. And I went to Tanzania last spring uh, with Saroj. She wanted a shout out. Why I went on a full semester SST is a tough question, and why I chose Tanzania is even tougher, and it, it honestly took me a while to realize, even after I had already committed to it. I knew it was going to be hard. Culture shock isn't easy to deal with, and anytime you've moved out of your element, every little thing gets harder. But through that, I knew I'd have constant support from my leaders and my host families. The balance of the challenges of SST and the support that I felt from the people around me was a great reason to go on SST, because it was an incredible learning experience. The reasons that any one person might go on SST are broad, and no one is better than the other. But SST mattered to me because it was not easy and because it challenged me, which created more opportunities for growth than I even imagined. The story I'm choosing to tell today took place in the middle of SST. I picked this story because it's a bit of a microcosm of the overall SST experience. After we had spent five weeks in Dar es Salaam, it was time for us to head out for service. We took a week in between to decompress, travel, and enjoy our time together as a full group before we split up. The week was amazing, one of the highlights of SST. We visited the Serengeti, we saw all these incredible locations and wildlife. It gave us the opportunity to relax after a stretch of hot temperatures, chaos, and classes, and an opportunity to process the learning experience and the incredible generosity and care we saw from our host families. As great as that was, that's not what I'm here to talk about. What I am going to talk about is the train ride that we took from Dar es Salaam to Arusha. Dar was where study was, Arusha was the next stop on our journey out to service. The alternate option was a bus, but the train would hopefully be faster, allow for more space to move around, and just overall be more pleasant. As we arrived in Arusha, we would meet up with our safari guides for a week of travel and exploring. So we headed out on Monday morning, we said goodbye to our host families who boarded a bus to the train station. As we slowly navigated the busy streets, I remember taking a moment to try and appreciate the hustle and bustle and chaos that I would soon be leaving behind for a small village. It seemed we weren't quite done with this city fun, though. As we neared the train station, it became clear that our bus driver wasn't really 100% sure where he was going. After he consulted with his coworker and some people out on the street, he took a detour, turning off the road and driving over the dirt, bouncing over railroad ties and trying to avoid the biggest potholes. We arrived at the station, seemingly have approached from the wrong side. After we got everything sorted and made it to the platform, we began to engage with our favorite SST pastime, waiting. In every orientation session, we had to prepare ourselves. Someone would bring up the fact that we would be doing a lot of waiting, and yet I somehow was still not prepared for the amount of waiting that I actually had to do. We waited on the platform for several hours before it was time to board. The train was an overnight. We could expect to be in Arusha around 8 a.m. the next day. It was going to be about 16 hours of travel time. We split into our sleeper cars six people to each 10 by 10 room. After we had crammed all our bags under the seat and figured out how to turn our benches into beds, we began to explore the rest of the train. We spent most of the afternoon hanging out outside our rooms, looking out the window and admiring the countryside. For all of us, this was one of our first big glimpses into the country, having spent most of the previous weeks in one city. This change in scenery was exciting, since it offered us a glimpse of what we were going to experience on service. The train made stops in some small villages along the way. People got on and off, and members of the village came to the train selling various food items. We enjoyed getting to see these glimpses into life in rural Tanzania, offering a glimpse into service. As it neared dinner time, we went to investigate the dining car. We quickly realized that this was the headquarters in terms of train passenger socialization. It was loud and busy, and a few of us started to trickle in. It quickly became apparent we were not going to get tables to ourselves like we would have expected had we been in the States. Adrian and myself parked ourselves in a booth and began talking with a Tanzanian about our age. It turned out he was a college student at the University of Dar es Salaam who was heading home on the train for break. Adrian and I spent the meal getting to know him, listening to his talk, listening to him talk about his studies and his goals, and answering his questions about the U.S. As dinner hours wrapped up, the train, the dining hall, transformed. Suddenly, most of the train descended on it for drinks and soccer. The car transformed into a place of celebration or anger. It was hard to tell. So as night fell, we gathered in one of our two rooms, breaking out games and enjoying each other's company. As the train chugged through the countryside, the sky was lit up with millions of stars offering an unparalleled view of the Milky Way. We spent the evening hanging out the windows, feeling the wind, and reflecting on the absurdity that this particular group of Goshen College students from Indiana would be together on the train in the middle of Tanzania. As it got later, we retired to various bunks and let the motion of the train rock us to sleep, ready to wake up refreshed and at our destination. Instead, we woke up a few hours later, around seven in the morning, covered in dust and beyond miserable. During the night, the train had driven through some sisal plantations, kicked up a significant amount of dust, blown it all through the windows, and deposited it all over everything. There was not a surface left untouched. We were covered, our clothes were covered, our bags were covered. It was so bad that I couldn't even be mad. I just felt defeated. We were all exhausted and ready to get off the train. To make matters worse, our train was significantly behind schedule. We were not going to get to Arusha for several hours at least. This did not help my mood. As we gathered and examined the damage, one member of our SSC made it known that they had awoken during the night, seen the dust billowing in, and inexplicably decided not to close the windows, but rather to ignore it and go back to bed. <laughs> Needless to say, we were not pleased, and I, at least, have not forgotten. We eventually rolled into Arusha around noon after sitting still in the previous town for an hour, gross and ready to move on with our day. It had been an unpleasant end to what, was shaking, what had been shaping up to be a fun experience, but overall not one that I would trade for the world. In my normal life, this experience would have made me very frustrated, but because we were on SST and we were in the SST mindset, I just kind of rolled with it. The longer you're on SST, the more your outlook starts to switch to just letting things go and taking time to be proud of the things you've accomplished rather than be frustrated at the things you can't control. I could have told a lot of stories today. I could have talked about the safari and all the animals we saw. I could have talked about Zanzibar and the snorkeling trips we did. I also could have talked about the time it rained in Dar, flooded the street, and sent Billy swimming down a drainage ditch on his way to class. I also could have talked about my trips to the hospital, or given a heads up on what to expect from your bowel movements while you're on SST. But the train ride was a microcosm of SST as a whole. I can say for certain that going to Tanzania, living with a host family, working at a hospital, navigating a different culture was challenging. It had its great moments, its hanging out the windows looking at the stars moments. It had its bad moments. It's waking up covered in Tanzanian countryside moments. I wouldn't trade either kind of moments for anything. People in my unit talked about initially wanting to go to to Tanzania because they knew it would be hard. We do hard things to stretch ourselves because we want to grow as people. That can look like a lot of things. For some people, it's talking to somebody they try to avoid. For others, it's taking a class outside of their field. For some people, it's SST. For some people, it's moving across the world for all of college or to live. In whatever form it takes, finding ways to challenge yourself is great. I found that for myself in Tanzania, and I hope that if I'm not already a little better for it, someday I will be. SSTs are all different, but one thing I can promise you is that if you choose to go on a full semester SST, the mixture of the challenge and the care you are shown will be incredibly rewarding.
4: My name's Nakaya Kilpatrick. I'm a recent grad with a major in ASL interpreting and a minor in Spanish, and I'm currently a working interpreter in Indianapolis. So I did a trip to Guatemala in the past, which was only for a month, and I had such amazing time, and I saw a big improvement in my Spanish that I wanted to do it again. So this year I went to Ecuador in the uh, summer for three months because learning Spanish in class is cool, but I'd rather have the full immersion experience, being around it, learning it, it would stick more and my goal was to be a trilingual interpreter, so I really wanted to be in that environment. Uh, Also had the benefit of using sign language, which is LSEC, which was the highlight of my whole trip. Um, SST matters because the lifetime commitments that were reinforced by SST and the ASL interpreting that I was immersed in. I had an amazing host family in Quito. That's them right there. Uh, My father, Miguel, I call him Papa Pan because I've never seen someone eat so much bread and then my host mother, Guadalupe, and then my auntie, Thea. Uh, yes, yeah, so my host father was deaf and my mother was an interpreter. He was the president of the founders of the La Federación Nacional de Personas Sordas de Ecuador, which is FINSAC for short, which is the equivalent of NAD, which is the National Association of the Deaf. So it's an organization that fights for deaf rights and accessibility. Uh, So that's what we have here in the States, and what they have is Finsac. He is currently the interpreter professor there at a school, and he's on the board of the Deaf Olympics. My host mother is a professor, and she's also an interpreter herself. She mostly interprets for my host father whenever we go anywhere, like his doctor's appointments or we're going to museums and stuff like that. She was actually one of the interpreters that helped me—oh no, sorry, technical difficulties. Okay, yeah. She's also one of the uh, professors that was actually, helped me make the first interpreter. Oh God, I'm sorry guys. She's one of the first interpreters that helped make the deaf Bible in Ecuador. So she helped translate it um, into LSEC. So I got to witness her make history, which was really cool. So they gave her a certification and here you see the celebration at the church we were at and they gave everybody balloons. That way we could feel the music and the vibrations and she was in tears, and it was a very emotional moment for everyone in the deaf community, so now everyone has access to the Bible. Um, And it's universal, so anyone in the world can go see it. They honored my host mom with a certificate, and it was amazing to witness because, yes, she made history, and I got to see her push this community forward that was very, very oppressed. My host parents didn't know a lick of English, so I relied on sign language a lot to fill in the gaps. So I guess you can say I was cheating on my Spanish. We mostly, um, well LSEC is 30% ASL, so I was un- able to understand a lot of what they were saying. And then sometimes I was completely clueless, so I had to rely on my Spanish. But luckily my, prof- uh, my parents were professors and they taught me some of their sign language. So two weeks into the trip, I was able to have a full-blown conversation in sign language. I think the passion we have for our sign language and the people, and we're both foodies, brought us all so close. So every weekend, if we weren't out at the movies or at a Deaf event, we were stuffing our faces. I remember this one event we went to was like a picnic. And there was me using ASL, there was a couple from London using British Sign Language, and then my host mom and the other Deaf people using LSEC. And it was truly amazing because we were talking for hours and we were all able to communicate. Yes. Sign language is not universal, but we were able to pick up enough of each other's language. It's like the equivalent of a Spanish speaker having a conversation with someone who speaks Italian. The languages are different, but enough you could understand. A lot of the time we were making fun of each other's signs, but it was such a good time. So for example, if you sign here up it's male, here down it's female. And they're like, that's so oppressive, why would you do that? because um, their signs are, like, here for women because earrings, and then here, like, mustache men, it's here in the face. Um, or in American sign language, we use a lot of fingerspelling, and then they're like, who wants to read all that? It's unnecessary. Show me a picture. Tell me a story. <laughs> um, so, yeah. When I was a student here, I was the president of BSU, which sparked an interest in social justice and equity. So I was, I was excited to learn about two minority groups, two minority groups, the Afro-Ecuadorians and the deaf community. A little bit of the Afro-Ecuadorian history was they were brought from Africa to be slaves, but they took over the ship and killed their uh, oppressors, and they were able to settle in Ecuador and build their own community. The Afro-Ecuadorian experience, surprisingly, was not that different from mine. The experience is more deadly because of the lack of government and trafficking that goes, more, goes on there but when it comes to racism and discrimination, it was pretty much the same. But what motivates the racism there is different from here. Ecuador already lacks so much when it comes to resources, housing, fair wages, and food. So when they saw a black person, they assumed they were refugees taking resources that they already lacked. They also aren't, the black Afro-Ecuadorians aren't the standard of beauty. So in Ecuador, there's this energy of like white is right to the point that they were bleached their advertisements to make the people in the picture look as white as possible. Talking with the Afro community, as frustrating as it is, was not something they felt they needed to protest for. They have their own community and they had enough for them. They just kind of accepted that this is how things are and that they just need to fall into place. Um, They're worried more about survival than being treated uh, to have equity and equality. So with the deaf community, LSEC is not considered a language by the government officially. So they don't really get much government support, government funding. There's no law to protect their rights. But the deaf community is so self-sufficient, like with FINSAC, that they were able to build their own schools, have their own resources, interpret the Bible, and do things like that to create their own funding to get the access and resources that they need. They are truly like 10 years behind with both equality and equity with the deaf and the black community, but I see them getting to where they are, or where we are. So my experience has made me a better interpreter because I have gained more worldly knowledge, I have a cultural awareness, and I have a stronger receptive skills with sign language. I've gained confidence in making mistakes when it comes to speaking Spanish and not being afraid to ask for clarification with sign language. I've networked and made connections outside of the US. Most of all, this experience has taught me to appreciate the small things because they are just as important as the big things. So what I'm doing now is I'm working with interpreters in Indianapolis to help the ITP programs in Ecuador because either their programs are too expensive, the people don't want to take classes because it's intimidating to interact with deaf people, or they just don't have people to talk with. So we're creating programs to try to bridge the gap, have possibly if they can find work in the US, they can make better money. So that's what we're doing now. So joining SST, you're going to be opening so many doors, networking, you never know what can happen. So, Thank you. <clears throat> okay,
5: good morning. I'm Teresa and I'm a junior psychology major. I was born in Northern California. My family moved to Goshen when I was four. We later moved to Peru when I was six, moved to Goshen after three years of my parents leading SST there, before it was moved to Ecuador. And then my family moved to Ecuador where we spent seven years, living six six months each year in Goshen. That's just some background about where I'm from. For SST, I went to the Navajo and Hopi reservations in Arizona. As some of you might know, this specific SST is set up a little little differently than the programs that go abroad, like Ecuador and Tanzania. So our time spent immersed in the reservations was cut to six weeks. Because of the decisions my family made and the privileges we had, as a child I was exposed to many different indigenous cultures outside of the U.S. Based on these experiences as a child, I decided to choose the Hopi and Navajo SST. I wanted to learn more about the indigenous cultures that are here within my own country. And I've been here for a lot longer than I have. I came to Goshen College because of its emphasis on global citizenship and global engagement. And going to the Hopi and Navajo reservations really showed me what it was like to be globally engaged, immersed in a culture so different from my own, yet never crossing international borders. I think that today, in the world that we live in, we often feel like we are globally engaged. But in reality, we are only globally connected, by our devices, through the internet, or by visiting tourist attractions. Going on SST helped me to make this distinction between what it means to be globally connected versus globally engaged, or to be a global citizen. Engagement is being immersed in a new culture and accepting the differences and the similarities. Learning through relationships, service, focusing on the other and not our own wants. So to share a piece of what I mean by global engagement, I want to tell you about an experience we had while on the Hopi reservation. The Hopi culture, unlike the Navajo, was largely influenced by the Spanish. And because of this, they learned to adopt many traditions and styles of ceremony from the Spanish. And this created two separate Hopi religions. There's the Hopi religion, and then there's the Kachina religion. And these religions are only practiced during certain times of the year. So the Hopi people practice Hopi religion from the summer solstice to the winter solstice. And the Kachina religion is practiced from the winter solstice to the summer solstice. So basically their year is divided by two separate religions. What I want to share with you guys is the Kachina religion and the opportunity we had to experience one of their ceremonies. The Kachina religion is incredibly spiritual and very private. The religion is based on the belief in the Kachinas, which are believed to be spirits or gods. And for this half of the year, they have become embodied. They show up in the form of dancers, wearing headdresses and other costumes known to represent the physical presence of the kachinas. The Hopi culture is divided up into clans, and each clan has a role in the greater Hopi society. One of the clans is the kachina clan, and the role of this clan is to perform all of the kachina ceremonies each year for all of the Hopi Hopi communities. The men of the kachina clans are the only individuals who are allowed to be kachinas. The boys from the Kachina clan are initiated into being Kachinas once they become men, and this is when they're 15 years old. The center of the Kachina religion is focused on praying to the spirits for fertility, prosperity, and abundance in all aspects of life. Praying for rain, for bountiful harvests, for world peace, for forgiveness and generosity with and from others. The ceremony that we had, the experience, the ceremony that we experienced was the Kachina's homecoming ceremony. And this was the last time the Kachinas would be seen that year. And as I mentioned earlier, the Kachina ceremonies are very private. And this experience was very special because it was one of the few Kachina ceremonies that are open to the public. Even so, no pictures, videos, sound recordings, or even sketches of what was taking place was allowed because it's believed that it would disrupt the ceremony and anchor the spirits, causing no rain and no fertility. Because of this, I don't have any pictures of the kachina dance, or or else I would have loved to show you guys. So these are just some other pictures from our trip. To participate in the ceremony, we gathered on top of the roofs of the houses, surrounding the courtyard, and watched the ceremony taking place below. The ceremony started at dawn and went on till sunset. The kachinas, about 25 or so of them, danced in a rhythmic pattern, humming simultaneously the entire time. They performed this chant-like dance routine in all four directions of the compass, and then they took a short break and repeated the same thing for the entire day. This whole time, the Kachinas were fasting, both from food and water. And remember, in Arizona in July, it is in the upper 90s to 100 degrees, and they all were wearing full head masks and some even had blankets draped over their shoulders. It was impressive and very fascinating to watch. The the kachinas seemed as though they entered into some sort of trance like state, chanting, humming, marching, and switching directions all at the exact same time, perfectly in sync. Some of them were even barefoot, walking on the sand directly under the scorching sun. During one of the kachinas' breaks, A Hopi woman invited a group of us out of the sun to eat in her home. She fed us mutton stew and lemonade. She extended hospitality towards us in order that the Kachinas grant her fertility and abundance of generosity. We allowed her to give in order that she may receive from the Kachinas. She explained the Kachina ceremony to us and welcomed us to return for more food and drink throughout the rest of the day. Experiencing the Kachina homecoming dance was a privilege not only because I had the chance to go on SST or that the kachina dances are rarely open to the public, but it is because the kachina religion is not something you can access on the Internet, and the religion itself is fading very quickly. I could not have experienced a kachina ceremony by being globally connected, by surfing the Internet or being a tourist, but rather it was through global engagement and being immersed that I had the opportunity to participate in such a unique ceremony. It was through the relationships my leaders had formed that allowed us to catch word of the ceremony. My leaders spent time and energy reaching out to the native people. And by doing so, the Hopi general store cashier trusted them and felt comfortable enough to invite them and the rest of us by association to participate in their kachina homecoming dance. Participating in the ceremony has given me a new view on the diversity our world and our country holds. In protecting this diversity, the rights of the people, the right to their land and their culture, is important to me more so now because of the relationships I have made and the immersive experiences I have had learning about their cultures, such as this kachina dance. This is what is special about global engagement. Relationships matter and the relationships are what provide you with valuable opportunities and experiences. What I will take with me from SST, and from this experience in particular, is the importance of human interaction. Maybe we can learn more facts or more information about other places quicker on the internet or through our devices, but this cannot replace real-life experience. Life experience of creating relationships, navigating new spaces, humbling ourselves because we simply don't know finding new strengths, relying on community, and engaging in the space before us. This is what SST gives us all the opportunity to have. Thank you.
1: And with that, um, we hope you enjoyed our presentation on why SST matters. And genuinely, we hope that you all consider doing some sort of SST. Thank you.